Hey everybody, this is Matt. Welcome to Roleplay Chat. I'm a game master who cannot stop talking about role-playing games, and in this week's episode of Roleplay Chat, we're talking about serial games, or episodic games, if you will. These are games that are very similar to watching a serialized television show, where every episode of the show is its own self-contained narrative. And usually there's some kind of season finale that kind of wraps up the entirety of the season. I'm joined by Nick Perron over at Tabletopped, and we talk about all kinds of strategies that you can employ in your games if you wanted to try running a serial adventure or a episodic adventure. Before we get into the episode, though, I did want to, to send out a small apology. I'm sorry this episode came out a little later than usual. Life's been a little bit hectic over here. My daughter was sick. Thankfully, for now, anyway, knock on wood, everything is better. While it's a little bit stressful and a little bit scary, we have a good support system that's helping us get through it. And also a little bit of news. So Nick was very gracious and invited me on to his show as well, onto, onto Tabletopped. So if you enjoy this conversation, which I'm sure you will, I would like to implore you to go check out the episode where I join Nick on Tabletopped. There we talk about plot hooks and kind of the intricate relationship between plot hooks, adventures, and seeding. So that, that was a lot of fun. And it came out a couple of weeks ago. So go look for Tabletop to wherever you listen to podcasts and listen to that episode and then listen to the rest of, uh, of his show as well. It's a really great conversation-driven Tabletop RPG podcast. My last little plug before we get into the actual conversation with Nick is I wanted to let people know that I'm in the process of creating a Patreon for Roleplay Chat. I think that, you know, the show's been running for long enough now and there's a good size of you listening that there's certainly interest out there for more roleplay chat. So with that, I decided that I would start creating small additional segments for every single episode where me and the guest talk about planning, preparing, and getting ready for running our games. So regardless of the topic for the episode that we're talking about, there's going to be a Patreon-exclusive segment where me and the same guest chit-chat about, you know, how we plan for our games and how we prepare, and maybe there could be some advice there for you to, to gleam or listen to. I'm slowly building up a kind of backlog of that content, so stay tuned. The Patreon isn't launched yet, but the plan is for the Patreon to allow you to get access to more great roleplay chat content every single time an episode comes out. If you have recommendations for me about what kind of things you might like to see in that Patreon exclusive segment, please let me know. I'm always open to suggestions and, you know, listening to your ideas if if there's if there's room for improvement in the show and room for that in the Patreon exclusive segment. But anyway, uh, I'm rambling now, so let's get into today's episode where I'm joined by Nick Perron of Tabletopped. Let's take it away. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Roleplay Chat. I'm Matt, a game master who cannot stop talking about role-playing games. 
Today, I am honored to be joined by a comedian and actor who has worked in theater and film. He is a video producer and playwright, and you may know him from his podcast or podcasts, Movie versus Movie, or more topically related, <laughs> Tabletopped. Please join me in welcoming Nick Perron to Roleplay Chat. Welcome, Nick. Hey, 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 what's going on? <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> hey, having me it. on. Yeah, my pleasure, man. This is gonna be this is gonna be a great time. We're gonna talk about episodic games. This is something that's near and dear to my heart, and I think you, you were alluding to the fact that you you love them too. Yes, so I'm, I'm uh, real excited. I personally, I really love. Um, I we'll probably get into much more about like different structures and everything, but I just really love a game that has a a set structure when it comes to storytelling, so that you actually get like a full. Uh, storytelling experience out of a campaign rather than okay so last time i was in a dungeon i kind of want to do like a heist now so let's just do a heist which is there's no nothing wrong with that sort of campaign um but i always really like to gun for the the good emotional stuff so having some sort of structure that you're planning around always helps me i don't know about you but <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um but yeah before we get into that why don't we uh let the audience know a little bit more about yourself so nick i'm going to pass the microphone over to you you can say hello and and if i forgot to mention any of your your shows or content please <laughs> please remind us of it now and then uh, i'd also like to ask you to tell us a little bit about your you know, preferred game mastering styles and the ways that you like to play uh, the tabletop RPGs that you like to play. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, hello, everybody. I'm Nick Perrin, and I am all of those things that you said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, like you said, uh, I, I run uh, Tabletopped, which is a, a podcast very much like this one where we really dive deep into uh, the art of storytelling and uh, specifically through the medium of tabletop role-playing games. It's my favorite thing. I love them a lot. Um, and my, my preferred game mastering style, I would say, is... Uh, so I have a friend, one of my co-hosts, Shade, who has a OneNote that is impossibly long <laughs> for every single <laughs> not even campaign that he does but even just like um specific episodes or whatever sessions he has just like endless notes about them i am not that dm i really like to have kind of a loose improvisational sort of bent to my games with um the the sketch having been made beforehand so i write out a basic uh prologue a uh either um, cliffhanger or epilogue and then i have some basic points that i want to hit in the middle and everything else is fair game <laughs> i love um, it i love it yeah and so that's the sort of thing that i really like to run pace is really important to me uh which means that i'm not always um super pulled towards the 5e system i, I just think that it's kind of slow and clunky sometimes um and i've really been enjoying the powered by the apocalypse style sort of storytelling narrative control sort of mechanics uh that is in all of those systems um but I'm really, you know, kind of exploring. I've been doing a lot of interviews with designers that are doing a lot of indie titles, and I just have been sinking my teeth into those. And guys, there are so many good games out there. <laughs> I know there's yeah. there's so many games. It's almost impossible to keep up with with them as they come out. I certainly yeah. try to, but you're right. There's it's a lot of a lot of like small indie things, you know, that come out. Uh, they're in like Zine formats or or like one page micro systems that are super cool. Yeah, and then you got ah. the really big crunchy stuff. But anyway, yes, please go on. 
Yeah, I was on. I was just gonna say I was on Twitter like a couple weeks ago, and there was a a whole one pager game that was super simple but looked so fun. That was essentially you are a hobbit and you are trying to resist the pull of adventure. And so by to do that, you have to like essentially gather potatoes and stockpile them so that you don't have to come out of your hobbit hole for a long time. But every time you like go out, that like adventure can like call upon you. And if you get too many like fate points, you get pulled into like some epic quest. And so it's this really (laughs) great game of balancing like your desire to not go on this epic quest with like getting the potatoes so that you can survive. It's very fun. That's cool. That's yeah. It's just creativity is great. So, so Nick, that really reminds me of the tiny library and the tiny tome Kickstarter series by Longtail Games. So Ash, who runs Longtail Games, basically does these compilation of micro tabletop RPGs. The yeah. tiny library is, I think it's 50 or 80. They fit on business cards. So oh, you, I, you know, I got this collection of business cards and each one is its own self-contained micro tabletop role-playing game and it's super cool some of them are very basic like super simple you're not even rolling dice others are surprisingly involved considering like the real estate space that you know the writers had to to do this and ash works with a bunch of different writers so each of these micro tabletop rpgs is written by somebody different yeah um anyway definitely worth checking out if i remember to put in the show notes i'll i'll be sure to do that so amazing yeah no i definitely want to check them out because i was at a pax unplugged this year and i found somebody who did something similar with like wallet games but they were not tabletop oriented they were more Mm. just you know board game oriented and they were amazing i was like i want all of these (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome i guess i missed you at pax then because i was there too oh awesome yeah just so many people so many people it's hard to keep up but uh (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so let's get to the rapid-fire questions, Nick. I'm going to ask you some questions. They're going to be hot. They're going to be spicy, and you have All to right. pick a side. I'm Hit forcing me. you to pick a side on a, you know, on a scale where it really shouldn't be a scale. It should be like a spectrum, but it makes it more fun if you're forced to choose a side. So I'm ready to die on these hills. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. Let's go, let's go with uh, your preferred way of creating a D&D character. Is it point by, standard array, or are you rolling dice? Oh, this is, I think rolling dice just because you can get more lopsided characters. And I think that okay. that's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, cool. The most, the three most recent characters I've built, I've done a point by, or sorry, a standard array, just because it's easy, it's quick, it's whatever. Um, but there's nothing quite like rolling them bones and being like, shit, uh, I am totally screwed now. <laughs> um, <laughs> or so, you're yeah. like super strong and you're like, I got three 18s. What am I yeah, do? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. Uh, what about as far as dice fudging goes? Yay okay. or nay? This is uh, going to get people mad at me. Uh, I'm a dice fudger. I like di- I like fudging okay. dice. That's gotta cool. That's fine. gotta gotta make a good story no matter <laughs> no matter what happens <laughs> <laughs> no matter what happens to those twitter dms you gotta make yeah. a good story yeah <laughs> awesome what about uh systems do you like crunchy systems or fluffy systems better mm. uh i think it's all about what i'm playing if i'm playing to do combat like a tabletop war game kind of thing crunchy is great i love crunch um i love to be able to you know in certain games like x-wing or you know uh kill team which is a warhammer product i love being able to like really get into like building units and figuring out how they work but for like a role-playing game it's not really about that for me it's much more fluffy so that's why i kind of 
tend to drift towards like powered by the apocalypse and that kind of thing. All right. All right. What about uh, at your table? Do you prefer having a very small and intimate party or a big and unruly one? See, this is the thing. Um, so my friends are probably going to hear this. Uh, we have a eight person D&D group, which is that's... so large. Um, <laughs> and I will say, I really like having a small, tight-knit group. <laughs> I mean, the, they all know that I love them and that it's great. And we have a really good time in those games. But there is a lot of stuff you can't do with such a big group. And so uh, I think I, I think I'm ready for a smaller, more intimate game uh, in my near future. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And then I'll I'll ask you, this is a big one that I think people tend to have a lot of preconceived notions about. Sandbox yeah. or linear games? What's your uh, preferred? Uh, another one where I'm going to probably go on the, the, the side that people don't like. Everyone's like, sandbox, sandbox the best. Oh, open world is so good. No, no, it isn't. A linear <laughs> game is much better. It's more satisfying. Uh, that's my, my, I'm placing my flag in the sand and I'm standing by it. Um, I think that people get way too focused on the railroaded sort of concept. It's not a thing. <laughs> uh, either yeah. you have a bad DM who is telling you that you can't do stuff and you're feeling like a lot of narrative dissonance there. And that is because you have a bad DM or you are being told a really fun linear story and you don't care that there's like a path that you're on because you don't even notice it because you're having fun. <laughs> so Yeah, you know, surprisingly, that is the answer that most people pick. Uh, Aha! When okay, I, when I I'm not alone. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm slowly accumulating a group of people who agree with me. And maybe that's bad for like <laughs> podcast production. Maybe I got to find somebody who's going to say sandbox. But um I can but find I, you. I can find you some people that will say <laughs> I just disagree with them so deeply. <laughs> um, all right, that that's great. So I think that you know that got the blood pumping a little bit. Is there anything before we move on, Nick, that you feel like you you need to justify a little bit more? I want to say one more thing to all those sandbox people out there. Okay, okay, <laughs> this is the one I feel passionate about. You go and you see like the D new D&D &D movie and you're like, wow, that was great. I had a really good time. That's like, I want to do a campaign like that. You know what that has? It has a script. It has a one track that all of the characters went on through the entire movie. And you know what didn't happen? Oh, why don't we just ride off south on our horses and figure out what's happening in the dwarven kingdom of whatever. Like that is just... <laughs> <laughs> there's a difference. There's a there's a there's a thing that you have to do. Like if you want to just play very improvisationally, I guess, then yeah, you can have a sandbox game, but you just also have to be ready that there's gonna be a lot of moments that is like, uh, so what do you want to do now? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay, then do you go back to what we were doing earlier? Oh yeah, okay, that sounds good. Okay, cool, we're back on track. <laughs> and that's not fun. That's not fun. Yeah, no, I I hear you. But uh and, you know, it makes me think, too, when we think about these games that are more linear, that are more structured, that's basically what an episodic game is, right? Oh, oh, down to the session being sort of paced out and figured out to a certain degree. We're not taking away agency here. We're not here saying force your players to do things, but we're definitely structuring the campaign in such a way that every episode, every every session of the game has this serial nature to it. Kind of like you're sitting there watching Doctor Who, you're sitting there watching Criminal Minds. There's there's this underlay of a story for everything, but there is this kind of resolution at the end of every episode. Mm -hmm. So kind of that brings me into our topic for today's conversation, which is these 
serial games. Yeah. Now, something that I like to do on the show before we get too much into it is define our terms to the listeners and even to ourselves, because I think that there there's definitely a lot of different ways that people can interpret serial games. Even when I was doing some research for today's episode, there was a lot of different opinions about what that meant exactly. Yeah. So let's try to get to a consensus together here live. And for those of you listening, we didn't talk about this before, beforehand. Maybe we should have, but we, here we are. We're at it right <laughs> now. We're going to make this happen. So, so Nick, when I tell you I'm running a serial campaign or I'm running an episodic game, what does that mean to you? To me? Okay. So to me, it follows the classic kind of TV writing script or format, which is you have episodes that have uh, like maybe A, B plots that happen, but tend to resolve within an episode. And then you have season arcs in which, you know, a bunch of episodes all kind of accumulate towards a greater story that's being told. And then you have series arcs where it is the entire arcs of each season leading up to the big grand finale that happens at the end. And in between all of those things, you are having all of these seemingly unrelated adventures maybe to start, but that they all kind of build into something that is the same tone, the same feel, the same sort of general IP, I guess. <laughs> um, so like you were saying, like Criminal Minds and all that kind of thing, um, they do this very well. They have a monster of the week or something that they are trying to catch or trying to stop a murder or whatever it is per episode. But then you have, you know, like romantic arcs between the main characters or like, um, you know, oh, no, Captain is started drinking again. That's going to be, you know, a seven episodes to try to resolve what is going to happen there. And then at the end of the season, maybe you get a little bit of a piece that goes into the, the greater overall story that the showrunners are trying to tell or the theme that they're trying to drive home. So to me, that's what a like an episodic um, series is. I know that there is another way to interpret it, which is much more comic book style, which is something that can last in, per, in pe perpetuity. Oh man, I said that wrong. It can last forever. Um, <laughs> if you want it to. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, the stories all kind of just like continue on and they have these kind of mini, uh, mini stories that are told in each, you know, episode, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what about yeah. you? What do you think? Is, is this hitting true for you or you have something completely different from how I think about this sort of thing? It, no, it's it's very similar to what you're saying, Nick. So I, I'll reiterate some of the things for the sake of coming to a consensus. So 100% to me, it's this serial nature where you you initiate the session with something that for the most part is unrelated and has very little baggage from the previous adventure or the previous previous episode of the game you can come into it basically dry you could have a new player join the party at this moment and they wouldn't feel lost starting right now yeah. maybe they're gonna miss some of that overarching story that's happening throughout the series throughout this throughout the session sorry mm -hmm. they're gonna miss part of that overarching narrative that's slowly building up over time but mm -hmm. that's kind of like bonus points that's extra yeah. story flavor personally for me mm -hmm. the the main objective here is that it's it's serial it's every session is self-contained to a certain degree mm -hmm. maybe you're getting like one of these two-part episodes where where it drags on into the second session also but it's like you're saying you start and you end in one one sitting mm -hmm. and they all kind of build up 
to be the entire season. One thing that I saw a lot of when I was doing my research was the theory of a West Marches type game. Yeah, that's and very I, popular. Yeah, it's very popular. And I think while a West Marches type campaign is episodic, it's not as big. It doesn't encompass as much. So I wanted to take a second here to make sure that the people listening know that. And Nick, you feel free to disagree with me, but the West Marches campaigns, I'll very quickly go over some of the things that I think make them very specifically unique mm -hmm. and a little bit too specific to be considered, you know, the all encompassing theme of an episodic game. So one part that is very critical to West March's game is a lot of logistics actually. Mm -hmm. So it has no regular playtime. Games are scheduled by the players that are playing in the game. It also has a very large cast of people. So yeah. oftentimes a West March's game will consist of like 10, 15, 20 people that will sign up for adventures. And only, you know, five or six of those people are going to sign up for an adventure at a time. So you get this like very big rotating cast of people. Personally, for me, when I think of an episodic game, that's not exactly what I'm thinking about. I'm, I'm still thinking of the same crew of five or six people that are part of, you know, my ongoing D&D game. They're coming but if somebody's sick or if somebody can't make a game, it's not the end of the world because these episodes, you know, they're not really going to have missed that much if they, they don't make it to one or two games. That's, that's kind of the way I see it and why I think they're a little bit different. Yeah, um, no, I, I think I totally agree. The, the thing about West March is that I sort of, I, so my first campaign ever was kind of billed as a West March's campaign, but it was not quite in that it was a, a group of friends, we were trying to throw a game together and we didn't know how many people could commit regularly to a game. So it was sort of this style where we were part of a guild and we would like sort of take on missions from this guild and go out and do the adventures. And it was kind of okay if you missed, you know, an adventure or two because, you know, you just were doing something else for the guild or whatever. Um, but I also have to say that I really... As a DM, I would never want to DM a West Marches campaign. <laughs> um, and because for me, it's all about people trying to be strategic. And it's more about puzzle uh, solving rather than about storytelling to me. Because if you have those people who are rotating out so so frequently, maybe you have one or two characters that are you know stalwarts. They're there for everything. But you're not going to be able to tell a very consistent narrative or even build upon a theme within your campaign because, and you can maybe attest to this as well, but as a DM, I always have, I have a difficult time getting people to remember what happened last session if two weeks go by. You know what I mean? It's just like hard because we all have very big, busy lives. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so having a West March's campaign, imagine going into an adventure and then not signing up for the next two, maybe two, three months later, you come back and you sit down you probably don't remember anything. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you're, for me, right. and for me, that means that those sessions are all about let me solve, let me solve the puzzle, let me win the game, which is a it's a totally legitimate way to play, and I think a lot of people really find a lot of fun in that. And as long as it's fun, then who cares what kind of thing you're doing? Um, but for me, I just feel like you could probably get 
a better experience from like a Gloomhaven or something like that. If you are playing a West Marches campaign, something that's very, you know, structural, you can drop in, drop out. Story doesn't matter as much. There are missions that are pre-described and everyone can play together. But if I'm a DM and I'm going into a West Marches campaign, I feel like my job has gone from facilitating a really great story to running monsters, which I think is what a lot of DMs fear becoming, <laughs> which is just sort of like something that um, helps other people have a good time, which is, I mean, I'm sure there are DMs that love doing that kind of stuff. I'm just not one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, and I and I hear you. And I think, well, I don't necessarily think that West March's games have to be devoid of an overarching narrative or an overarching story that's sort of happening in the background. Like you're saying, if the cast of players are rotating at such a high frequency, odds are the story is mostly being told for the game master at that point. You know, like no one's really catching on to, to it completely. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, you know, because of the lack of oftentimes West March's games have a lack of like NPC cast mm-hmm. or even a big bad villain, you know, it it kind of removes some of that role play element for me personally, there's a lot of that, lot less of that improvisation of like, Oh, I'm going to play off this character and deal in some, some fun drama and have the NPC die later. You kind of lose that. It just doesn't um, matter. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. But uh, yeah. So I, I think that gives us, unless you had more to add, I think that sort of gives us a, a rough definition of what an episodic game or an episodic tabletop RPG campaign is. Mm-hmm. I don't think our stories and advice and recommendations in today's episode necessarily don't apply to a West Marches game, but I just want people listening to know that we're not specifically talking about a West Marches game. We're talking yeah. about episodic games in general. A West Marches game kind of fits in there as one of the buckets that sort of loosely fits into this definition. Honestly, a West Marches game to me really lends itself to like a OSR style thing where people can roll characters really fast they can enter in maybe they they die pretty frequently people re-roll and it's much more you know about this sort of like gritty let's like get into this very dangerous world and see what happens you know um yeah and like you said i all of the sort of stories and advice i have regarding episodic games um basically doesn't apply to that format (laughs) um but yeah feel free to take whatever nuggets that you think are helpful if you're running one of those games i would love to hear hear what that's like too um yeah yeah absolutely and and maybe you know with you saying that nick i'll try to i'll try to lean into that a little bit more so i'll i'll do my best i know i also tend to prefer the role play and the narrative but i'm gonna try to play the devil's advocate a little bit Mm -hmm. um so Let's then move into talking about our personal experiences running these kinds of episodic games. Yeah. You alluded to the fact that the games that you've run in the past tends to be like this. So why don't why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how that's been working out for you? Sure, sure. So when I started DMing, I really went for like heavy genre pieces. Like the first thing I ran was a heist and the second uh thing I ran was sort of like a, a murder mystery and, you know, it kind of went on from there. So like very heavy, heavy genre pieces that all were very self-contained episodes that would fit in other people's campaigns so that I could come in, do an episode that was like a one-off adventure 
kind of like the onsen episode of like an anime where oh all these characters are now just doing something else and you're seeing them in a different environment um and then would be able to get back into the original dm's campaign so that's sort of where i cut my teeth on my just how to dm and how to tell a, a quick story and so when i really started to get into hey i want to run something a little bit longer the way that i broke it down was okay i want to take my time because I had I had a, a a sense of where I wanted to end up, but there was I knew that my weakness as a storyteller is getting through the middle of it because I love the beginning of stories I love the endings of stories, um, but the middle parts always seem very vague and scary to me because it's like how are we going to make this connect to the end or whatever, um, and so I started breaking them down and I said okay so I'm going to have you know three episodes per arc and each arc is going to build into like a, a greater thing so that's how i actually paced myself i would say okay i want them to learn this much about what's going on in this world by the end of arc one i want them to learn this much by the end of arc two and so then when i got into building the individual episodes i was able to say okay in this episode i want to build this sort of feeling or build them into this sort of like aspect of the world that they should be trying to think about critically and try to get their teeth into. Um, and then the next one I would say, okay, well, the the first episode ends with them sort of thinking this way. Uh, then I would want to start building the second episode to reflect a different aspect that I'm trying to bring out in arc one. Um, and it also allows you to be a lot more modular with how you plan your episodes like you can write episode one get it really ready run it for everybody see how they interacted and like we were talking about earlier we're not trying to railroad people they could have done something completely unexpected and taken the story in a completely different way but guess what you only wrote episode one out now you have episode two to take all of the curveballs that they threw at you and turn it into something really special that feels like, wow, that was part of the campaign the whole time. He must have knew that we were going to do that. And that makes you seem like a genius, even though you're just panic <laughs> like panicking, writing down like stupid things that they're saying. <laughs> I love so. that. I love that. That's really neat. And, and that's actually not even close to how I run my episodic game. Oh, so that's, that's so that's interesting. Really neat. Yeah. yeah. So I, I tend to think about my episodic games and, and I've run a lot like that. That's my preferred way of running yeah. my adventures. Also, uh, one of the larger campaigns that I've been running for quite some time now is a pirate adventure mm -hmm. where they jump on the ship and they float, they, you know, they go around to different islands and they complete quests. Yeah. Um, one of the ongoing games that I have going on right now is, uh, one of these like guild game guild games where everybody is part of the guild and they yeah. go on these missions for the guild. But I use that as kind of like a plot device as a, as a, um, as like a plot engine rather to push them towards things. I say, Oh, mm -hmm. this is your mission. You've been told by your boss. You've been told by the captain or you're, you're find yourself here. Now go complete the mission. And the mission yeah. kind of a, is this method for me to have them graze up against the underlying plot that is happening in the surrounding world. And maybe it's slowly discovering that, you know, the delivery that they were sent to go and ambush and take over mm -hmm. wasn't what it, what it was supposed to be. And when they opened up a crate, there was like human smuggling going on. Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. Now we're shedding light on one of the factions of the, of this world 
maybe they're more villainous than we thought. And as they slowly continuously graze up against this information, kind of on like I do it on purpose, but in the game it feels like it's happenstance and it feels kind of accidental. Yeah. The the overarching narrative kind of comes to fruition and then we have this big climax where they where they go up against this force of evil that they've sort of seen in parallel almost by accident throughout the various episodes of the game. So it has that build up but in a more in a more self-contained way I I think perhaps like I'm not I'm not necessarily thinking of the different arcs the different arcs that are going to go into the overarching plot. I'm just mm-hmm. like today's adventure is this and yeah. this is the piece of the of the progress of the big bad that I want them to come into contact with and we're going to find However, they go about doing this. I'm going to find a way to creatively put that in an appropriate spot. If it doesn't happen, I'm not going to force it. But yeah, usually, usually I'm able to figure out a way to have that intersection of the Venn diagram occur. Yeah, I actually think that we're not too far off because so my first long term campaign that I ran was in Monster of the Week, which is a powered by the apocalypse system. And that one is very much like there is a monster. And your people, the three steps are like, you have to figure out what's happening in the town. You have to investigate the mystery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to figure out the weakness of the monster. And then you have to fight the monster. <laughs> like that's sort of the, how the game drives you. It's like very much a genre piece of uh, Monster of the Week fiction. Cool, yeah. So what I was able to do, very similar to you, was that I would build this monster and I would say, okay, this is what's happening directly at the town. This is what is going on. That is the call to action for these heroes. But... I would then say, but this is why that that's happening behind the scenes. Like I had essentially this kind of shadowy actor that was kind of doing stuff that was kind Mm -hmm. of in its own way, activating these monsters (laughs) and like creating them and starting to get them in a collision path with the player characters. And so as they started dealing with them, they were kind of, like you said, brushing up against the greater mystery of this world. Um, And I do think that that is the most fun way to do it because people are able to make a lot of fun decisions on multiple levels. Like they can set up what they're doing in this episode, how they're going to deal with the most direct threat. Like you said, they, they board the ship. They're like having a, you know, scallywag adventure (laughs) and they, you know, they get done. They're like, yes, we did it. We beat the pirates. And then you crack open one of the, the big crates and it's a human smuggling operation. And you're like, Oh, this is making me choose a much bigger choice for my character at this point and that will throw them into either the next episode or into a different like my like way of thinking about the game that's going to change how they interact with future episodes as well um so i think that we have a similar way of thinking about it i think that i just because uh my brain is broken and i think way too much about this stuff i'm always thinking about like you know the end of the arc because i really want to get to this really great payoff that i have planned and sometimes they do something so unexpected that the payoff completely changes but i just want to have that emotionally resonant moment moment in the season so that i feel like yes i did it (laughs) it's like really gratifying as a dm um to like pull that off uh and also, I think it's really great for the players because they feel like they're really part of a story that means something. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that makes a whole lot of sense. And I, I really, I, I do like that you talked about powered by the apocalypse. Also, because um, mm-hmm. I think, I think it's from Dungeon World, 
where yeah. there's the front system. Is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, maybe I think so. It's the. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? It's been a little while since I've read Dungeon World. <laughs> yeah, I, and I mean, it might be another Powered by the Apocalypse games too, but it's this where you create a threat for the party. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the examples in the book, I'm pretty sure, is like this otherworldly portal. Yeah. And as the adventure kind of continues along, if the party isn't doing anything to actively combat that front, yes, 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 then yes, yes. it slowly moves towards like you're saying some kind of final objective so i yeah. really like doing that personally is i i think about the two or three villainous and npc factions or villainous entities that exist within the space that we're doing these epi episodes in i like to rotate between them so we're brushing up against these things in kind of this rotating fashion and I like to think about where they're moving and how they're moving towards this final objective. And sometimes the party will completely thwart one of them. And, you yeah. know, they'll find a way to completely obliterate one of these threats altogether. Mm -hmm. But that's okay because I have another one or, or a third one that I can kind of lean on and, and get that to the end. That, that Yeah, but that's really cool. I like that you talked about those two things because it does also sort of coincide a little bit with with my approach yeah i mean in monster of the week though it's called the doom clock and you have sort of cool. there's like a certain left there's like i think like eight sp uh, eight spaces that are all corresponding to a different time period so it's like dawn uh sunrise whatever all the way until midnight and midnight's like the world is over you guys really screwed up <laughs> um <laughs> And so they encourage you to have both an episode clock like that, where it's the threat that they're directly dealing with and like what it's going to do if they don't actually figure out a way to stop it. And then you have ways to build out longer clocks like that over the course of a season. So like maybe, you know, each episode has something going on and the big world clock that's happening underneath all these episodes is ticking away like you said maybe another faction is doing something and while they're over in this corner of the world futzing about the other faction is getting stronger so that when they come back and they like however long it takes that clock is still tracking that other faction as well and so it's a pretty mm -hmm. interesting way of keeping track of like lots of things in a big world um i'm not sure i'm always successful with it but i do like it as a immediate way to put stakes into campaigns with people who maybe have a little bit of analysis paralysis um i think it's a really good way to force action so yeah absolutely absolutely um so nick i'm gonna shift gears a little bit cool I, i'm gonna talk about some of the challenges that i've faced personally running episodic games mm -hmm. and i you know i i'm gonna preface this by saying that i ran a poll on twitter a couple days ago asking people if they've run games that are episodic if they like them and if they, you know, what systems they'd like to use and things like this. Mm -hmm. And to my surprise, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say to my surprise, but a very large proportion of people, so 75%, over 75% of people said that they have run episodic games and that they like them. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, I was thinking that perhaps we could try to give these people some advice to overcome some of the challenges that we've had when we've run our episodic games because presumably we don't have to convince a whole lot of people that episodic games are great and fun <laughs> but i imagine that some of the pitfalls should be relatively common so i'm gonna you know let's try to work our way through them and, and hopefully get out of here 
after this conversation, we're being better GMs and we can go run even better episodic games. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So one of the one of the pitfalls that I've encountered, and feel free to think of your own also, and we can try to work them out together. Yeah, uh, Nick. But uh, one is just getting the pacing right. Mm, that's because so important oh my it's, god <laughs> it's 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 absolutely mission critical right like yeah. if you're gonna have a game that's a series of self-contained mini adventures you have to find a way for the game to wrap up in the three or four hours or you know sometimes even less sometimes it's like a two and a half hour game night yeah with distractions and catching up beforehand with your friends you know it, it's tough so I've definitely found myself in situations where I cut out elements of the game to try to get to the end. Mm -hmm. And it left me feeling like I cut the wrong stuff out Mm, and it didn't feel good. So yeah, over to you. Has that, have you experienced that? And what kind of advice would you give to try to, you know, manage and plan ahead to have that pacing kind of fit? Not perfectly, but it, it almost has to be pretty pretty perfect. Yeah. The two things I would say is, one, that this happened to me tonight when I was running that work game I was telling you about <laughs> off air. Um, I had to cut a full combat encounter because combat takes forever. And we were at the end of our night, and I was like, I really want to get to this story beat that I have to end the the session and set up the next episode. Um, I'm just going to cut it. The the character that they I want them to talk to at the end, they appear a bit early and this other NPC that I was going to originally going to have them fight, they get to talk to and like the, they essentially set up that there's like many of the, these people in a faction that they're going to be mm. starting to talk to. And I know what you're saying where it does feel like, Oh, I missed it. But my, my advice there would be for everyone who is in that situation, cut the stuff that isn't directly related to story. It's going to make you feel better in the end. It will still feel like, ugh, but it's way easier to repurpose a combat for a different episode than to try to pigeonhole a story beat that you had planned out that doesn't make sense anymore because, you know, two weeks are going to go by before they experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's it's the order of ops for me is make sure that the feeling that you are trying to create through your episode or your session is well served by how you start it how you end it and then everything in the middle can be changed, rearranged, cut, you know, it doesn't matter as much as the beginning and the end. People tend to remember those the most uh, clearly. So I would say that that's my first piece of advice. The second piece of advice is that you can always go to the classic. There are, there is enough time for three encounters in a night. It doesn't matter how much time you plan for your party is going to expand out whatever time they have and three encounters will be done. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, and I like to, <laughs> I like to structure it mine with like a social RP encounter, a skill or like creativity encounter is how I like to think about them. And then a combat encounter usually to like end the night. If you're doing something that is not five E you have a little bit more leeway, but if you're running dungeons or dragons, you really only have time for five, uh, for three uh, big encounters because otherwise, you know, it just takes, it takes a long time to tell a story in dungeons and dragons. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? That's really good advice. And I like, I actually love how you talked about the emotion because you're right. The the emotion that you trying to get out of the players in that particular episode of the, of the adventure, I think needs to be like the guiding force behind how 
you're deciding to cut things live in the game. That was one of the reasons why I felt like I betrayed myself and my party when I cut my game, because I had cut out a piece of the game that the party obviously wanted to role play out an emotional scene. And I kind of like forced them through it really quickly to get to the ending that I was that I was hoping to get to. Whereas I should have cut out something before that or after that and allowed them the space to feel those things and feel those emotions, because that's ultimately, you know, would have served us much more than having everybody roll an extra skill check in the skill challenge or whatever. Um, So I like that you say that. Yeah, and I would also say to that point too, that ending early, if you are in a place where you have gotten to a story beat, but you plan to get to the next story beat after and you have some stuff in between and you're like, I don't think we're going to be able to get there in a half hour. Like that's going to need at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half to do. End early. It's way more satisfying to the players. It's more satisfying to you too. You might be like, oh, I didn't run that right. I didn't get everything I want to done. But players 100% of the time would rather have a shorter session that feels epic, cool, emotional, whatever it is you're trying to pull out of them and you and you nail it like with ending on that cool beat that is way more satisfying for them than mm-hmm. having to end mid you know slog because to when you're getting to the next thing because they're just going to be like okay uh cool we'll we'll finish this up next time oh cool i had fun great and that and they did have fun and you are a success if that happens so don't feel bad but they're not gonna have that moment which i think all the dms that I interact with really want, which is, oh, like I want to do the next thing right now. Yeah, <laughs> like this, yeah, this is absolutely. like I'm so excited about this. And um, the thing that excites people is like these really cool moments that they get to. So don't feel bad about ending early if you have to. If you're ending on a cool moment, um, like you said, I think like maybe this is a question for you. Do you think that you had an ending that you were trying to get to? Would it have served? you better to get to this moment let them really role play it out have that like interesting moment that they seem to crave and then end it there and then have a part two or something like that would that have been better or would you have been like uh maybe not it was best to get to the end when i did or yeah i mean i guess you know looking back is always a lot easier Uh, totally (laughs) but i i feel like i just flubbed the pacing of the whole whole Mm. night where i spent way too much time on this pretty you know pretty intense skill challenge where they were on the boat there was a storm stuff was Mm -hmm. falling off they you know and they seemed to be having a really fun time they were having a really fun time kind of problem solving their way through this skill challenge deciding what to save what to allow to fall overboard and things like this but in doing so I wasn't able to get to the, you know, I had like a list of three or four climaxes that could have happened for that particular episode that I thought would have been satisfying, would have wrapped a nice bow and allowed us to move on. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I, I, I forced my way to one of those yeah. by overstepping and saying, you know what? I know one of the NPCs died on the ship during this storm but we're not going to role play out how your characters feel about that we're just going to say everybody was sad and we're going to i mean i'm I'm being very explicit right now i didn't say that in the game (laughs) but like you know i i I effectively pushed them past that into the final scene where they encountered this this cool deity and it was still a pretty neat moment it was a kind of a cool like wrap up where they they were informed by a neat piece of information about 
why the sea levels were rising and you know part of the overarching narrative that that i felt was important for them to learn yeah but i still felt bad that the part that i skipped over was the part where they were willingly role-playing emotions of their characters engaging in the world around them and i didn't have the foresight to to think of it earlier like i should have cut stuff before and part of that leads into one of the pieces of advice that i want to give is that Mm -hmm. i think it's super important for you as a game master whether you're running an episodic game or not i think this applies in all situations is to have kind of a a bunch of interrupts Mm. which are things that you can put into a situation to change the game so yeah. if your if your players are in a role play scene with some NPCs or doing some fact finding and you find that the conversation is stalling and they're asking questions and they're not leaving you need to have these act 3 buttons these things that you can push to say we're going to move on mm-hmm. because there's something that's calling for your attention and you need to come and deal with that thing it could be bandits are stealing from the marketplace it could be something like the ship hits a big rock and now well you're done role-playing because you're bailing water from the from the hull of the ship things that interrupt the current flow of action to move on to the next thing and in an episodic game i really like to make those things self-serving where the interrupts are going to usually happen at the end of act two Mm. where they're doing their exploration, they're kind of solving their problem. And I have this way of interjecting and saying like, here's the thing now, this is the monster you're fighting. This is the thing that's going to be the last 45 minutes of our night. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's finish it off because if I don't interrupt you now, we're not going to get to the end that I'm hoping that we're going to get to. Um, yeah. And I think that that is a, that's a great thing. Um to do and have in your back pocket. I would say that <laughs> I also am somebody who if okay, I'll 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 say something that might be one of those hot takes things that uh, <laughs> people can can disagree with me on. Sometimes when I have those moments where there are mysteries or puzzles or whatever that they're going to be going through and trying to figure out the way that I I do that button that you were talking about is that I just don't build a solution to these puzzles. <laughs> okay. And, that's cool. and, and then as they work to figure it out a hundred percent of the time, they're going to come up with a really cool way to figure their way through a puzzle and for it to mean something that you then pull out and say, you're absolutely right. The, the puzzle box unlocks and inside is the key that you were, that you were thinking about finding in there. Um, because that makes them feel like geniuses, which is great. They feel great. And also you have a really good way of like making them feel like you're smarter than you are, but also that they are more bought into the story now because they're like, oh, I see how this is working. Like I see the matrix code. I can I can really mm-hmm. interface with this. And so I had a couple of um, times where I've built, especially in like a mystery or something that's a little bit harder to drop specific clues that don't railroad or put up brick walls in front of people like oh did you find did they read the the diary that you said was left out on the nightstand they didn't so they don't know that this person was in this location oh then they're not going to figure out the mystery that doesn't feel good so letting them figure out a mystery ending that makes sense is sometimes just as good (laughs) um 
I don't know. It's a hot take. I know that some people yeah. really disagree with that, but I think it's a really fun way, especially for beginners to to get into this sort of episodic storytelling. If you're going to have this big puzzle box or something that they have to interact with, let them figure out what it is and how it works. And then if you're comfortable improving, you can then bring that into either your own narrative in some way, or you can let it inform how you want to end the session with the the thing that they've come up with which can be really gratifying for both them and you uh, even though you just have this little secret to <laughs> not tell yeah, them <laughs> that's that's really cool I, I and you know what i don't necessarily do that in all instances but i can definitely see the value uh, to have this kind of open-endedness you know let them work it out for themselves and then once you feel like they've given an answer that's uh, universally consistent with the the problem that they're trying to f- figure out Mm-hmm. you kind of move along to the next thing that's that's kind of neat um yeah. i also really like nick that you talked about mysteries because i think that mysteries problem solving sherlock holmes call of cthulhu type of yeah. investigations make for a fantastic theme mm-hmm. for episodic adventures but like you're saying they often run into this pitfall where the party even if you've put the information in a lot of different places for them to find and all the arrows are pointing in one direction. In my experience, the party often finds themselves in a situation where they just want to get all the intel. They Mm want to go to every lead. They want to, you know, gather every piece of information before they go and fight the poltergeist at the top of the, you know, a haunted mansion or whatever. So it's it can be tricky to navigate these things i think you can kind of deal with them i found two ways of dealing with this one is having action clocks kind of like in in blades in the dark where you have you know a tangible object that is filling up and when it's full it's like you are transported to the end scene yeah with the information that you have and that's it like so make the most of it Mm mm-hmm or you can kind of have things pushing the players there narratively to sort of stop them from doing this like massive information gathering. But that that later one feels a little bit bad sometimes. Like I personally feel bad being like, oh, the library's closed because time went on and you can't sorry, you can't go investigate and look up but- uh, whatever in the library and they like it feels this like is- I'm putting a door in their face. But anyway. Totally. I think that I totally know what you're talking about. I had to figure out this as well. For me, what I decided is that instead of saying, oh, the library's closed, isn't that a bummer? You say, the library's on fire. Somebody got here <laughs> ahead of you. You know what I mean? Like you just yeah, you make it so yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. You, you, you interject with like a little bit of adrenaline and say like, hey, um, like somebody comes up to you and like, maybe you're working with a sheriff or something and you're figuring this out. And then they're like, oh, like, the the monster's in the mill i bet it's in the mill maybe we should just like gather a little bit more and then the sheriff says like the mill you mean where the deputy the deputies just went they said that there was some sort of like sound and they wanted to check it out and then they know okay we have a clock now (laughs) like you said it's time sensitive there's gonna be there's gonna be cost to taking time which i think is the only thing you really have to figure out a way to inspire your players with um a really great way for a new gm i i still use this all the time is saying you guys can do that bad things are going to happen because you do that i'm not going to stop you 
if you want to go into the library, break into the library and start reading all these encyclopedias, it's probably going to take you till dawn. And as a reminder, you know that this thing hunts at night. Bad things are going to happen if mm -hmm. you do this. Like, it's very, like, just level with your players sometimes and keep it within the tone of the game if you're doing something like a Wild West encounter and, like, they're trying to get ready for this heist. You're like, guys, that you remember that the, the train, it comes once a month and it's pulling in in two hours. You have to get going. Um, it's not, like, as a player, it's me, that would just take me to be like, I'm refocusing. Like, oh, shit, I just got yeah. lost in the weeds in, for a moment. I'm focused again. This is what I need to be preparing for. Um, and I think that that's okay. It, like, as you probably have also found in your games, like, as you get better at GMing, um, you get to be better at doing that <laughs> sneakily. Um, like you were talking about, like, figuring out a way to have those buttons that you push to inspire actions that doesn't feel super... Mm -hmm. Does it feel G like a door just being closed? Exactly, like, mm -hmm. yeah. Time's up. <laughs> like, along. It doesn't feel like the GM's hands coming down into the world and like plucking them out into the next scene. Like yeah. I totally can get behind that. But I also think if we're giving advice for newer GMs that want to run in this style, it is a million times okay. Like think about every single episodic film or TV show you've ever watched. There are characters that come in and they're like, guys, stop researching. The Billy just died. Like we got to get going. Like, these things happen in scripted stuff too. Um, your players are going to be okay with it. You just have to make sure you're not breaking the dissonance of the world. That's the only thing. Um, yeah, that's very good advice. Very good advice. Yeah. Um, one last thing that I think sort of handles this challenge. And actually, you know what? Maybe I'll, maybe, maybe Nick, I'll ask you, are there challenges that you think that the episodic formula of an episodic campaign has that you've encountered that you've kind of overcome and, and how have you overcome that yes there is something uh i think that is very tough which is um pacing and making sure everyone is invested and uh it is a tough thing to figure out and especially if you have a huge uh game like if you're getting up to like six seven eight players it's hard because everyone mm -hmm. wants a little bit of time, a little bit of attention, and they deserve that as players too. Like they need to tell their stories so that they can feel invested. Um, what I started to do with episodic um, stories is that I would center one of my characters as the main story driver in each episode. So I would take an episode and say, this part of their backstory is really important in this episode. We're building towards something that's going to be a character growth moment or just like a give them the spotlight for a little bit mm -hmm. so they can make some decisions. They're going to have some answers to questions that everyone else is just not going to have because it's already in their backstory. They talked about it to me when they were building their character. Like that is how I dealt with it. And then I would rotate who was focused on in each episode so that everyone felt like that not only they were a main, per, like a main character, but also that they had real information and real status within the world that was meaningful. Um, so that's how I was able to try to hook my players and keep them engaged. And then by the end, it made it so that all of them had huge buy-in into this world. They all had really deep story hooks that were, central to like NPCs that they came up with that I dragged in and all that kind of stuff that made them really invested. And so when it was time to say goodbye to the world, it felt really meaningful for them. It was uh, when 
uh, I was able to to get a couple of them to cry, you know, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. The awesome. the big the big payoffs that DMs want, and I think that um, I was only able to get keep people invested in that way by doing that sort of rotation. Uh, I don't know about you. Does that resonate for you, or are you um, less less focused in that way when it, it comes to building out your episodes? I mean, it it depends on the table. I the table that I'm running for most of my games right now have a more kind of casual playing style. So, yeah. you know, their 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 characters don't have backstories or the, the backstory that they do have is prompted by in-game questions that I'm asking them and they kind of come up with it on the spot. So, we're slowly building their characters through play. Yeah. So I I really really like what you're saying about you know focusing each episode on a different character. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it would work necessarily in this table that I'm playing with right now, sure. but I could see it working in other tables where you have a player who's coming to you with like a three four five page <laughs> backstory. Um, and I also think that episodic games, you know, you talking about that, it made me think of this unique nature of of episodic campaigns in that we can kind of time skip in a really neat way. Oh, right? it's so this great. Is something I love it. <laughs> you, yeah, you can't do that in all... I mean, maybe you could. Some, You know, if I give it a lot of thought, I'm sure I could find a circumstance where you can in any, in any situation. But in an episodic game, like what's really, really cool... I'm going to go back to my example of the party opening up the crates that they intercepted. They find a person in there, and that's the, like... It's, that's the end of the episode like the cliffhanger yeah. moment of like oh my god what's going on here we completed the quest of intercepting this parcel these parcels mm-hmm. but there's people in the crates yeah. end of episode the next episode i'm not addressing that <laughs> yeah. we're like the ship is now in a completely different part of you know my 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 world they're doing a different quest in a different place focused on a different fa- npc faction that's associated to a different player character. So it it allows you to jump around in a really interesting way where you can, if the elves of your world live only in one spot, well, you know what? There's going to be a quest there for the player who's an elf. And then, oh, now we're in the Dwarven Mines. We're starting the adventure off at the front gate of the Dwarven Mines with our new mission. And you can kind of do this weird, like, temporal manipulation to have these different moments occur that all build up in this interesting way that you can still give your players the opportunity to have like a campfire scene to talk about what's been going on in between but you get to just like constantly pump out things that are relevant if you want to yeah Um, so i really I, i really like that you do that for your players i think you can do that in other contexts too but yeah um one thing I want to ask you too, because I think this is such a hard thing, because as a player and as a DM, I have experienced this where, so in an episodic game, I feel like it's the real thing on the GM is to make a sense of consistency across episodes so that mm-hmm. it always feels like it's within the same genre or the same world or whatever it is. Like it just has to feel consistent in some way right it doesn't have to be they it can be completely different 
play styles or things you're doing like you said maybe you're on a ship maybe you're going to a mountain the next uh, next episode doesn't matter that much but they just have to all kind of connect into the the ip i guess the the dm's world and make sense in sort of the feel of the game what i have a hard time with sometimes is that if a dm has too strong a point of view of what they want to do in their world that it can feel like a lot of dissonance for the characters who are being inside of it because they're like mm. I, and this is where I think a lot of the railroad uh, naysayers come in and say, like, I don't want to be pushed to do something I want to do. I want to do something that feels like I'm controlling it and that I get to live it in the way that I would. Um, and I think that there's some there's some bad arguments on that side as well. But I do think that the big thing that kills games is character dissonance, where people are like, I don't really get it. I'm not feeling invested. I'm just sort of out you know and that can come from a lot of different places but how do you prevent your the thing that you're building up to the thing that uh the the world story the clock behind it all that you're kind of letting them tap up against every once in a while how do you avoid your players being like i have no like i have no interest in this <laughs> or like feeling that kind of dissonance of like my character really just wants to smash heads is like a, a bounty hunter i'm really focused on that because like i feel like a lot of um players especially first time but a lot of veteran players do this as well they come in with a very specific thing that they want to do and a story mm -hmm. that they want to tell and if it doesn't match with the game then it starts to have a lot of weird story dissonance throughout the whole thing and you're just like this is not working <laughs> yeah i mean i i definitely that's something that i that i'm challenged by also mm -hmm. the way that i've sort of I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna go back to this campaign that i'm doing right now it's with two of my best friends and my wife mm -hmm. and we're just playing every other week and mm -hmm. they're, you know, not super invested. Like th sure. they're, they're invested in the social element of coming to play Dungeons yeah. and Dragons with their friends. Um, but they're not super invested in, in the game world. So th the way that I'm trying to tackle that is by appeasing to them as people. I'm mm. trying to do stuff that they are going to like as people. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, if you get to know your table and the things that your players like, as long as you're feeding them the things that they want to be experiencing and feeling the feelings that they want to be feeling at the table, you should be okay. Mm -hmm. um, now to go to your question about like brushing up against the overarching yeah. narrative th that, that can be tricky. I, I feel like my solution to that is to make that overarching narrative be very loose mm. and very vague. You know, I, I, I've definitely, approached situations where i was like i know exactly who the big bad is i know exactly what their factions motivations are and at the end of the at the end of this all they're going to summon the big ocean demon and he's going to come rising up and he's going to like crush their boats and there's going to be this big massive finale fight sure that was that didn't happen <laughs> because <laughs> because the you know the adventuring party ended up following different leads doing different things and they just weren't interested in that particular you know in the particular factions and groups that were involved in having that finale moment occur so mm -hmm. my solution to that especially in this particular group where i'm not sure they would care anyway 
is to just not have one. I don't yeah. have a, a final moment that I'm building up towards. Mm-hmm. I just have basically I'm I've prepared my fronts. I've prepared mm-hmm. the things that are villainous in the world that hopefully will eventually get to an ending of some kind. But if they don't, I think I'm okay with that. Like I've come to accept that that might not happen. And the adventure, you know, the the, the arc that I currently have planned out, if it gets to that end, I'll be okay. Yeah. And it's just going to, you know, it's effectively just probably a dozen adventures that mm-hmm. the the guild that they're a part of has gonna be, is going to be sending them on. They're going to get to explore interesting and unique places in the world that I think are fun. <laughs> yeah. And I hope, you know, I hope that I can sort of switch that if they show particular interest in something. Like, for instance, one of my players... Out of nowhere, she just started talking about how her family used to be really good forgers. Like, they would make amazing armor, and they supply armor to the king. And I'm like, you know what? That's really freaking cool. Mm -hmm. That wasn't something that existed before, but now there's going to be a mission for sure where you're delivering armor to the king. Like, that's happening. That's going to be one of the the quests that you're going to be sent on. So, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, Nick, but... No, I think you are, because... I think that what I'm kind of pulling out is something that I also do very frequently with my my players is that it's so important when you're running any campaign, but also episodic campaigns, your players are going to tell you what they're interested in, <laughs> whether they realize it or not. Uh, anywhere from their backstory, what they come in with to what they are like what they start doing or talking about to NPCs, there is an infinite amount of stuff you can mine out of that to, to kind of start, you know, you know, getting them back in and invested. So I'm glad to hear that you also have experienced that. And it's not just this one thing that happened one time to me. And I was like, wow, that worked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, no, it's, uh, it's funny. It's funny what the, and it's always something that I, I feel like I think I can figure it out. Yeah, but they always surprise me. They always throw some curveball where it's like the person that I least expected to care about herbology is now asking me for a compendium of like recipes to -hmm. make their own potions, and I'm like, wow, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I had something similar happen where as it it was a joke that during the the backstory creation of one of these characters, they were like, yeah, and she writes uh, fanfic for Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like back in like you know the 90s she's like in on her blog writing fierce uh cheers uh uh fanfic and that became so like important to the story at one point because near near the end they actually had to go into her like consciousness to like try to remove this like malignant like presence that was kind of the source of some of the negative parts of her powers and the way that she sort of cast this thing out of herself and like regained some sense of like, you know, personhood and control over their destiny was like the, the final room in her consciousness was the cheers bar. And she started talking <laughs> to all the cheers characters. And there was just like this, like gross goo in one of the side areas of the bar. And they're like, well, that's it over there. And she was like, Oh my God. And so then they all like played the cheers theme and like she sang it out and like expelled this creature out from her brain, I guess. 
awesome. and it was this it was this huge moment where everyone was like that was incredible <laughs> from episode one this was gonna happen i was like absolutely not i did not care about tears <laughs> before this <laughs> oh i love that so much i love yeah that so, so much. your characters will tell you or your players at least will tell you what they they want to happen in some way yeah, Maybe it's yeah. not in the way that you thought <laughs> at the beginning, but it'll happen. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you you know, if you're doing that, you're appeasing to the things that those people are going to enjoy. And you have some element of consistency. I, like For me personally, in the kind of episodic games that I like to run, I usually center it around like a home base of some kind. Mm-hmm. Right. So in the pirate game, the home base is the ship. Mm-hmm. The adventure always kind of comes full circle back to the ship. It's, you know, it's almost, it it became like the ending credit scene where Mm -hmm. if I was describing the party on the ship, they, everybody clued in that like, okay, we've made our way back. It's done. The episode is Mm -hmm. kind of wrapping up. Yeah. Uh, Same thing with this, this guild. They don't have a home base per se right now, but you you know, the, the adventures always start with a mission statement that's delivered mm-hmm. to them by a courier or by a member of the guild or, you know, I start the adventure off with them reading a mission statement off of like a cork board in the, in the tavern or what have you. So I think if you have these touch points, or at least I found success in these touch points that sort of allow you to hand wave, perhaps some of the inconsistencies that you've created through improvisation mm-hmm. by looking at these touch points and saying like, okay, we're, we're wrapping up or we're starting up with a formula that you're familiar with for these episodes. It it can be okay. And I think there's a lot of ways to do this. Like you can do the whole witch hunters, hunting monster thing. You can do the whole uh, treasure hunters, like Indiana Jones style. Every episode is you going to find some cool relic that all builds together to build Exodia or whatever the heck, you know, uh, <laughs> You can do a lot. Of, I think sci-fi is also very well suited for this. You got like your Stargates or you got your, you know, very Star Trek style adventures where each one is on its own world and, and, and Doctor Who type of. Anyway, I, I think having this this thing that you can come back to, whether it's the ship or the vessel or the Stargate that teleports you back. Mm-hmm. I found I found some success in in that also. I don't know if that yeah. if, if you if you run your adventures in this way yeah i think that setting yourself a a a, like by making yourself a toolbox uh of of things that you can gesture to the players what is about to happen people will are way more comfortable buying into something that they kind of expect or that they can recognize the signs of and like you said Mm -hmm. if you always tend to end the session on the ship and they're going back to the ship and they see it in the distance and they start boarding then they know things are wrapping up they can start expecting that they can start participating in the ending of the episode you know um so there are lots of ways you can do that i really love writing a a prologue to the episode and a kind of what the camera sees at the end of the episode cool. uh, is how I kind of think about it so that I kind of leave with a nice little flavor of like, okay, this is what you did. This is like, you know, what you should be taking away the important parts that uh, you all kind of went through. Um, I think that that helps frame the story in between so that even if they just read the beginning and they read the end, they can get a sense for what happened in the middle. <laughs> is, is that uh, something that you do like after as like a recap or is that something that you do like so, live? Like, 
this is the thing yeah, i do do i do do a recap most of the time but i find that recaps are for people of uh supremely strong will and i cannot force myself to always consistently do a recap um but what i am more meeting is like when i sit down at the table with everyone i say uh like before we begin essentially the sun rises over the forest of lakewood inside there's and then i start kind of narrating mm-hmm. and then i will say Three days later, Jack, you're in your bookshop and you're just like helping this seller buy this book. Uh, she leaves uh, very satisfied, even though you didn't have the book, you had to custom order it. What are you doing today? Whatever. And like completely distance myself from the the prologue that I just gave because the prologue is going to have the hints of like the monsters or the big thing that they're going to deal with. It's going to give them clues as players, uh, maybe not as characters. Uh, about what's about to happen and then the epilogue is like maybe the sun rises once again over the forest of lakewood blood smears the trees where like last night the battle was waged and then i'm able to recap what happened to everyone so that they can be like yeah that is what happened (laughs) i feel like it just kind of cements it in their brain um i always like doing that some people uh never do any sort of narration like that um all the power to them. I just find it's like a really nice way to, to like a little nightcap at the end of the session. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really neat. And you know, I, I always appreciate that when I'm a player. Like mm. I love it when a game master ends the game or ends a scene and is like, blah, 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 you're here now. Like yeah. let's let's just fast forward to something else that's gonna be a little bit more punchy, relevant, engaging. Let's not stress out about you know, talking to the guard and having to haggle your way into the space that's currently an active crime scene. Like, you yeah. know what? You're going to get past that. Unless there's something relevant to be had in that conversation, let's not labor the point. Let's mm-hmm. get past it. Um, so I, I like that happening mid-game just as much as I like it happening at the end of the game. I think there's a lot yeah. of value in conclusions regardless of 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 the medium there's it, you know it's always nice to have kind of this wrap up where mm-hmm. the 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 more poignant pieces of whatever it was that happened get summarized for you yeah uh, but yeah absolutely absolutely um i'm looking at the clock nick and i'm looking at my notes and i want to kind of rapidly work my way through a couple things are you okay <laughs> with that yeah I've, I've, i'm sorry i'm long-winded <laughs> no no hey i i'm the long-winded one but uh yeah, so really quickly, I wanted to talk about I mean, I, I think we've we've talked about a lot of things, but I, I definitely wanted to talk about systems. Because mm. I think there are definitely some systems out there that are worse for this and some that are better. And we kind of alluded to a few of them, but let's make <laughs> it super explicit. Yeah. In your opinion, which systems should be avoided if if possible? when you're running a, an episodic game and what systems would you personally recommend? See, this is the this thing game? is that, um, uh, I, <laughs> I'm going to get like my credentials as a TTRPG person pulled. I think that <laughs> if, if you are trying to run a really like, um, a really tight game that you should stay away from hot, heavy crunch, um, something like Pathfinder or something even more crunchy than that, I find that mechanics, the more mechanics the players have to interface with, the slower your pace is going to be. So if you're really trying to do an arc per episode, 
Um, you need to keep, like you said at the beginning, a pretty solid tempo. And unless you are super comfortable with the game and are able to help people through a heavy crunch sort of rule set, just stay away from them. There's so much easier ones out there. I really like any 2D6 system. So um, all of the Powered by the Apocalypse stuff, really great. I really like City of Mists. Uh, Blades in the Dark is awesome. Stuff that really, um, you know, fortify storytelling um, as the key mechanic that you're going to be dealing with, I have a better relationship with just because it's so easy to really make sure that things are moving and that you can control the tempo a lot better. And you can also shift the entire campaign, like we were talking about earlier, to leave something out, to put something in, to change the ending a lot easier when your narrative stuff is a little bit less set behind a hundred million dice rolls or um, specific skill sets that if they don't have, then it's hard to narratively get them into something. Um, that's that's my personal opinion. I would stay with um, things that are like basically read through whatever book that you have. And if you say, wow, the main mechanic is the, of this game is narrative control, then you're in the clear. This is going to be a very easy system to run an episodic game in. If you read it and you're like, the main mechanic of this is rolling a dice and seeing what number comes up. Um, then you're going to have a hard time because especially D20 systems have really heavy variant swings mm -hmm. and it can really screw up your narrative. <laughs> if like the master thief you have in your party rolls a one skill check and the safe remains locked, it's like, that doesn't make sense and isn't fun for anybody. And you guys aren't in the safe now. So my story is screwed up. I have to like on the fly figure out how to get you into the safe now. Um, I don't know. Does that resonate with you at all? Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. I, I really like that you talked about just even like the probability of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I am a really big like cheerleader for the fate core system. I think mm. it's a fantastic system because the dice rolls are on a, on a normalized curve. I feel like it's something that a lot of more systems should have. Yeah. Um, it's also a very narrative based game. It's a game where the players have a lot more control over their own successes. You know, they can bank on things that they want to succeed on Yeah. and allowing them to do that. I find has given me, a faster middle part mm -hmm. because you know they know what they want to do they're saving their fate points for particular actions that they want to get done like you know it's very meta but like yeah let's be honest we all do this as players for the most part especially I mean, veteran players when they want to get a specific aspect of their story out there i mean they're storytellers yeah. too so they're going to use the mechanics to get their story the way they want it out you know exactly so when you give them something that's maybe a little bit more potent than inspiration <laughs> like yeah. a, like a you know a system that allows the players to have a little bit more narrative control over their successes mm -hmm. that's going to get you a faster pace i think personally mm -hmm. I, and i haven't fully thought this one out but i like the idea of using a call of cthulhu game mm -hmm. for an episodic game i haven't done it yet but i find that there's a lot of really solid content that exists for call of cthulhu that is i mean the, the whole premise of this game is you're solving invest your investigators solving mysteries right you're solving yeah. these investigations so if you can find yourself a series of 
pre-written investigations and then weave your own fabric in the background. I mm-hmm. think that that might be a really fascinating way to run um, to run an episodic game. Yeah. It's also a game with a lot of, like, it has high lethality, yeah. which I think might be more palatable in an episodic game than in this, you know, never-ending adventure where you end up killing, like, if you kill off a character in that, people might get a little bit more upset. But if you're killing off a character in an episodic environment, they might not feel, it might not feel as bad because you know what? The new character that's coming in, they're not missing out on as much because it's got this kind of like iterative approach to the storytelling. Yeah, um, I when it comes to character death, especially in episodic storytelling, um, my suggestion would be to keep <laughs> as as a DM, you can never completely plan for character deaths that are going to happen sometimes, and it's going to feel bad, and people are going to be like, "What the heck just happened?" Um, but I think that if you are playing a lethality campaign where your players are expecting some sort of death, keep it for the like season finales. I'm doing a little air quotes, really great for podcasts, but, (laughs) um, but keep them for the season finales where it makes narrative sense because the biggest thing that pulls a a person out of uh, a table is like, this makes no sense. Like my character survived running away from a ancient red dragon. And then like, I fell, like I tripped over a rock, messed up a dexterity save and fell into a spike pit. It's like, what is, what is that? Yeah. That my, my story just ends. That's, that's the story. Um, you have to give them a way to palette, like a way for them to absorb the death in a way that makes sense to them as a storyteller, as well as, uh, them as a player because as a player they're going to get the mechanics they're going to know why they died but as a storyteller you also have to kind of cater to that side a little bit and say like you know and that can be as simple as giving them a little narrative control over the death or you make sure that their death is meaningful in some way uh either in that moment or moving forward but mm-hmm. yeah I, I think that death is a whole nother thing that's very hard to <laughs> deal with yeah yeah it's 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 tough we've had conversations about it on the show before and it, there's always more nuance to be added um mm-hmm. but I, I yeah i definitely like the idea of if you're if you're running a system that has high lethality baked into it mm-hmm. that hopefully will remove that dissonance right it'll hopefully remove that um that friction of that a player might experience being like, yeah, but why did I die here? Like, it doesn't make sense. But if, a it's really, in, yeah, if, a if really... you're playing a normal human being who is a librarian as their profession and they're coming across, you know, some kind of otherworldly ghoul with tentacles for a face, like, they very well could die there. And that could <laughs> easily be the second or third or fourth investigation in your episodic series um yeah and and what i that's kind of sparked in my brain is if you're going to run a high lethality episodic campaign my suggestion would be like you were saying earlier is to give a lot of time and distance in between episodes so that mm -hmm. like they mean something because they are what is building on to the next thing. So like, Hey, you, you meet these ghouls in the house. One of you gets your brain devoured. The other two, like, you know, one almost dies, but gets away with the, the book of lore or something that is, 
you know, they're trying to remove from the house, you know, classic Cthulhu stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. And then maybe the next episode isn't with any of those characters, or maybe it's with one of those characters, but it's 20 years later. They're old, and they still have this book, and these new investigators are like, hey, we need this book. There's another thing that's happening. And then you have that sort of like continuity, but at the same time, the lethality makes sense because it's important. It was like the major thing in this character's life, and now that's informing all of the sessions going forward. Like, just make it matter in some way, and I think that people will be able to digest it a little bit better. Cool. Yeah, I like that advice. I like that advice. And again, yeah, you were talking about these cool time skips. I feel like <laughs> oh, they're so cool. Yeah. They're so cool. Um, one other thing that I wanted to have us cover, if uh, if you can permit me, of course, uh, Nick, is to talk about kind of like hex crawls and mega dungeons because yeah. these were things <laughs> that came across my research when I was looking up episodic games and. On the surface, it was something that I struggled to digest because to me, it didn't feel like it had that, you know, that that plot engine that perhaps one of these like more quest based adventures might have. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I still think that there's this possibility of playing a game out where every episode is effectively maybe doing one floor of this mega dungeon or mm -hmm. one episode is exploring one hex on the on the space map. So I kind of wanted to get your your initial reaction. Do you feel like that still fits into what we're talking about or does it feel a little bit too gloomhaven uh <laughs> to 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 harken back something that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, How do you, you feel about that? You kind of read my mind in that um, I think that it does fit into like the broad sense of the term episodic where, like you said, maybe you're exploring a floor per episode and each episode has its main, you know, floor boss or mini boss or whatever. But my feeling on that is sort of like, then why don't you just play like Zelda or why don't you play uh, Gloomhaven, like you said, or why don't you play certain games where... Because basically, again, and this is totally fine and a, a very valid way to play. I've played Dungeon of the Mad Mage. I know how this stuff works. It's fun. <laughs> it, it can be a blast. Um, but it it's all about sort of like this episode or this session that we're in is a puzzle that I need to solve. And I'm going to use my mechanics and I'm going to use my combat abilities. I'm going to look at my character sheet and see what I can do to try to get through all of the dangers of this dungeon and get to the next floor. And that can be very fun. It's just also not very story driven. Um, in a, and it can also, it can be, it's just not like, why would you limit yourself in that way? I guess is my, my question. Like, why would you limit yourself to, okay, we're only in this hex, the entire game or this entire episode and then the party's like, oh, but I want to go to this hex because I think that we can find something to help with the mystery that we're dealing with or the event that we're dealing with over in this town that we are we were in or something. And it's like, no, you have to stay in the hex. <laughs> it's like, who cares? <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like when you start setting up um, um, meaningless restrictions on yourself, I am a huge proponent of having restrictions on yourself when creating episodes and creating stories because it's where a lot of the create creativity is going to come from. It's going to give you a lot more ideas than it prevents. Um, but in that same, on the other side of that same coin, don't limit yourself for no reason. Like if you're doing a dungeon crawl, 
then just do as much of the dungeon than you can do in three hours and call it a night and be like, okay, next time we're going to pick up, we're in this room. Everyone remember your like stats and how many spell slots you've used and we'll pick it up. It doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? It can kind of end wherever. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, uh, you know, the other side of this coin. And I don't necessarily agree with it, but for the sake no. of conversation, I'll try to I'll try to represent it. Um, because I, I mean, I feel like you could still run a mega dungeon with narrative elements. Uh, the hopefully this mega dungeon exists for a reason. There's probably somebody at the bottom who's constructed it. There's likely, you know, you could find a way to pepper in NPCs, ghosts things that the players can interact with to hopefully do more than just fight use spell slots and 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 you know evade traps i i think that the dungeon could be sort of perceived as a space for the players to explore hmm. um it might be an interesting it might be an interesting challenge to try to tell a narrative story that's still very fleshed out within the confines of you know the basement of this mad wizard's castle i i it could be interesting i i do I agree that, with you though nick that yeah sorry, no I no agree i agree with you that it's like it's it's extremely restrictive like yeah you're only in one location and you're kind of losing the benefit of being able to time jump and skip <laughs> between places in the world and and do all that stuff but um, yeah, you're also, you're also like thinking of, uh, okay, so like when we were talking, immediately my mind went to, you could do this and you could do it in a very cool way. Like you could take like Dante's Inferno, the idea that there are several different circles of like hell or something that you're traversing through and each one brings out something specific in your characters that they have to overcome in order to continue on their kind of epic quest to the next thing. Um, but when I think of hex grids and dungeon crawls, the main mechanics that are being upheld there is the grid. Um, and I think that when you are on the grid, it is so much harder to regulate, regulate tempo. Because, uh, like, imagine you're in a a crazy dungeon that you've set up being like nobody has ever explored this dungeon. It kills all of the the adventures that go down. There's endless treasures to be found. There's a lot of like in your like spirits and morality will be tested too. Um, every single time they enter a room, you're gonna have to deal with: Are there any traps? I check for traps. I do this. Uh, okay, what's in the room? Oh, there's a there's a portrait. Tell me what that portrait looks like. Because people want to, they know they know the assignment in those cases, which is survive to the next level of the dungeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it, it it's just gonna totally screw up your tempo, and it's gonna completely kind of offload the core part of your session onto traversing the map rather than what's going on with your characters, what's going on in the world, what what are they dealing with. Um, maybe, maybe I'm wrong in that, but I've just never had, I've, I feel like every time I put a, a battle mat down, I know that the next hour is going to be on that battle mat because I need to help them traverse it. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and you know. definitely lose a lot of your flexibility. Um, yes. unless you're willing to 
unless you're willing to like shrink your dungeon somehow in like miraculous ways and rearrange it so that they get to the end faster. But I feel like that's probably not a popular opinion with the kind of people who, who really love dungeon crawls and really love that kind of, you know, that kind of game. So yeah, I mean, I guess that answers it for me too. I, I, I'm kind of of that opinion too. You know, I really had a hard time seeing that as something episodic, especially based off of our definition, Nick, where, you know, even with something as simple as how how do you how do you hearken the party back? Like you you can't. Yeah. You're in the dungeon. You're floor one. Then you're at floor minus you know, zero, minus one, minus two, minus three. If somebody misses the game, unless you're gonna just have them like teleport out and teleport back in, narratively speaking, it's it's not the same. Like mm-hmm. they they obviously missed something. They missed yeah. the entire floor of the dungeon. So it's harder to justify that than to say like, well, you just you were sick uh, on the boat. You stayed yeah. on the boat. You didn't you didn't off you didn't go onto the island this time or whatever. Yeah. Um, cool, cool. Well, I think that covers almost everything uh, that I wanted to talk about with regards to episodic games. I know that I've been kind of driving the conversation, Nick. So I, I wanted to give you the opportunity if you if there's something that you really wanted to talk about, whether that be a piece of advice or or a personal opinion with regards to episodic games that I didn't touch on or, or, or prompt you. Is there anything there that, you know, words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the listeners of Roleplay Chat? Um, I can't claim this as my own words of wisdom, but I recently did an interview with Fern Milton, who is the designer behind Stacks of Goblins and Locust, which is a horror TTRPG, which looks super amazing. I'm very excited to try it out. But she was saying how um, the board game industry is so rich and has so many micro genres that when people want a specific experience, they can find that specific experience and play it out. But when they look at TTRPGs, which is a very similar industry. It's like very close in terms of like the Venn diagram of people who use them. Um, People try to slam every story through the most popular systems, um, even if they don't quite suit the system. And one of my pieces of advice is don't be scared of trying new systems. The episodes allow you to even change between playing systems if you really want there's if you want a certain experience to come across to people and there are so so many really amazing one night only systems like 10 candles is one that i really love where you're gonna get one episode because everyone's gonna die by the end (laughs) Um, oh yeah (laughs) yeah and there's like a bunch of games that are like that that are built for specific types of play um Fern also has a game coming out called Coffee and Chaos that I'm very excited to do, which is basically like if you're playing a Waterdeep campaign and you want to do an episode where it's just the hijinks of them running the bar, why not switch over to this other system that is specifically built to facilitate that kind of play? Um, I just think that people can get too locked into specific systems, and I understand that people get really nervous having to teach a new system for one night or something, and I'm totally respectful of that. Um, But if you have a a table of veteran players who really like to play games, I actually think that they're going to be excited by getting to to try out a new thing 
um, with it while still being able to progress the story that they love and want to continue with you. So my my one of my advice is uh, just like try a lot of cool stuff because your players will most likely reward you uh, rather than penalize you. And then the other thing, because I want to hear your your response to that, but one more thing that I was thinking about was um, a lot of people say, like, really make sure that you're including your players in the development of the game and making sure that everyone is included and, like, have really strong session zeros. Like, right before we started, we talked about that a little bit as, like, kind of advice that everyone always gives. And it's, it's 100% correct. But I would also say... Um, to not let your players smooth over all of the rough edges of the thing that you're trying to make uh, by catering to too many people. Uh, there is such a thing as too many cooks, and when you get too many cooks in, in the kitchen, you get kind of like a mediocre product. Uh, do something that feels unique to you. Do something that you're really excited about. Your players are going to come along, especially when you start including them in the design of the thing that you're trying to produce. But make sure it's something that you actually are interested in and you're just not catering to someone who wants to, you know, I want to do a Weird West space odyssey with a little bit of fantasy thrown in and like, oh, I want to be an elf, but I want to be the only elf that's left and all that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, you can consider some of that but make sure you have like a firm core that you're excited about too as a gm so that you can really make sure that you get through the the planning process which takes a lot of time so <laughs> yeah yeah i i agree with both of those things nick i think the piece about you know rotating systems is that's really interesting i uh, i don't know personally if i'd be able to convince some of my players to do that and i think yeah. that that's that's something that <laughs> You know, everybody listening will have to kind of judge for themselves. But you're you're a hundred percent right. You know, there have been a lot of folks that I've played with who are in love with their one system, whether that be Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder mm -hmm. or some some more obscure systems, even. But you know, that's their baby and they love it and they want to use it for everything. And you know what? That's okay. But like we're like we were saying these episodic games definitely benefit i think from systems that give you more flexibility in the pace of the game and more narrative control whether that be as a player or as a game master so i, I think if you focus in at the very least on teaching yourself blades in the dark go find the quick start. i think there's got to be a quick start guide out there for blades in the dark that's probably free you know go take a look at it take 30 minutes to read that document and then you should be able to run a game of blades in the dark or go find the quick start for some of these, uh, you know, some of these micro tabletop role-playing games that are quite literally on one page and run a game with that. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I a hundred percent am a proponent for doing that. Switching between, I, I don't know, Nick, if I, if I, if I do that, <laughs> that might be kind of tricky. If they're all in the same genre, then perhaps that could be interesting to kind of, you know, string together three or four different horror micro tabletop role-playing games. Um, that might be kind of cool, but definitely something to talk about, you know, as, as your mission statement in your session zero. And I'm going to try to wrap in together, you know, your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. It's okay as a game master to say to the people in your session zero, hey, 
this is what I want to run. Are you in or out? Like, <laughs> yeah. that that's okay. It's okay to say that. And it's not, you know, you say it in a respectful way. If people say that they have hesitations because of this, that, or the other thing, you know, consider making changes to enable that person to play with you. Yeah. But if it's going against the grain of the vision that you wanted to do, and it would remove your fun as the game master, it's okay to tell that person, you know what? Like, I respect that that's something that upsets you as a player. But for these six nights of gameplay, I, I want to explore that. I want to, I want to explore horror. And if you're Mm -hmm. not okay with horror, I'm sorry, but like, that's kind of critical mission critical to my adventure is to explore horror, maybe, maybe gore, like really intense gore. And that's like, but that's not something I would want to do personally. <laughs> but if that's mission critical to you, say it. Be open and upfront about it and see see what everybody else has to say about it. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, like when you hear all of the horror stories of like bad DMs on Reddit, the big thing is not that they're saying, hey, we're doing this thing and I really want to do it um, because it it's meaningful. It makes me interested in running the game. And a player says oh, like, I'm so mad at you for that. It's because they say, or either they don't tell somebody and force them into an uncomfortable position, or they, you know, say, like, we're doing this and you're stupid for not wanting to do it or whatever. Just like people people have the choice to bounce in and out, and that's totally fine. And you can still do your hyper gore campaign or whatever. I'm sure that there's an audience for that out there somewhere. I won't be at that table either. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, but I think that like, you know, there's, there's always a group that's interested in specific types of games. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Well, I think we covered all the bases, uh, with regards to, or most of the bases. I don't think that, you know, (laughs) these conversations are always hard to be finite with, but, um, yeah. So Nick, this is now, you know, before we get to the complete wrap up, we're going to, we're going to do a conclusion because conclusions are important. Like we talked about. Uh, but that's going to be hard. That's always the hardest part of the show is trying to summarize a nearly hour and 45 minute conversation <laughs> into like three minutes. Yeah. So don't feel obligated here, Nick, but I'm going to throw it to you first. What did we talk about today? All right. So what I would really hope that people take away from this conversation is that um episodic storytelling is the only way to run a game and if you don't you're stupid no no, just kidding (laughs) no i I think that what people should take away is that um episodic games can both be structured uh and not feel like a railroad they can uh be very player motivated and uh run by what the players do but also have your sort of core story in mind uh they thrive with uh restraints and time limits and clocks that can help move the the thing around and for the love of god pay attention to tempo (laughs) um those are the big things that i took away and i hope that if if a first-time gm sat down at a table for me if they have a solid beginning of where they want to start the night they have a solid end of where they want to end the night and they have the the comfort of being able to kind of judge how like how far in the narrative arc they are at any given time to try to continue to either push the characters a little bit faster towards where they need to go because that night is ending or 
you know, you, to let them take the time they need to, to really get involved with something because there's a lot of time left. Um, as long as you have those skills, I think that you are going to really enjoy running an episodic uh, uh, campaign, especially because it means that you only have to write one thing at a time. You don't have to f- make an entire dungeon. You can write an episode, run the episode, and be like, great, now I have all of the factors I need to write the second episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think you covered most of it there, Nick. We we did talk a little bit about uh, about systems and mm-hmm. how certain systems might benefit that more than others. We talked a lot about the main challenge is pacing and how addressing that pacing can be difficult, you know, but like you're saying, it's incredibly important to give yourself the tools to have flexibility baked into your adventure from mm-hmm. the onset so whatever kind of quest or mission that the party is going off to whether that be fighting a monster or, or investigating a crime scene and solving a mystery you want to have a way to push the action forward we're all going to have our own solutions to that but my solution to that is to have kind of an interrupt or you know, kind of act three button to push nick you talked a little bit about you know trying to touch on the three pillars of the game, if possible, in your adventure, so or, or having three uh, encounters mm-hmm. kind of set up, regardless of what pillar those encounters find themselves in. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to touch on something that you talked about, Nick, and that was emotion. I mm-hmm. think each episode ought to be, uh, you know, give yourself a guiding mission statement for that for that episode. Whether you want that emotion to be pumped up, like feeling great for killing the monster or being a little bit more down and sad. I think you can think of that ahead of time and try to try to stick true to that. So when you're trimming stuff off or you're skipping over content to get to that pacing, you know what stuff not to cut out. And that's Mm -hmm. the stuff that sticks to the mission statement of that particular episode. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So uh, (laughs) good job. Maybe 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 that's the episode. Let's just make that five minutes the whole thing. And yeah, well, thanks for having me on for this quick five minute chat. I've been very happy. <laughs> um, yeah. So Nick, thank you for coming and spending your your evening talking to me about this. Before we say goodbye, please remind the listeners of Roleplay Chat where they can find you and uh, you know all of your content, whether all your socials, your podcasts, all of that good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, As uh, we've been saying, I'm Nick. I run Tabletopped, which is a really great podcast, very similar in uh, tone to this one where we sit down and talk about different aspects of storytelling. I get to to do a lot of interviews with designers and other people who kind of spill the secrets on, on how to either run a really great game or how to design a really great game. Um, and I also have a panel of co-DMs that bring a bunch of experience uh, to the table, and we just kind of chat about different aspects of it. Uh, you can find that on any podcast platform. Tabletopped is one word. Uh, and you can also go to tabletoppedpod.com. Uh, we have a little contact form there, all the ways to subscribe. And if you do send us uh, a question, we do love to answer them. So feel free to do that. It'd be great to hear from all of you guys. Uh, from this really great show community as well. So we yeah, also awesome. are, I, I guess I should also mention we're on like Twitter and Instagram and all that. Uh, it's usually at like at tabletopped or at tabletopped pod. Just try those a couple times and you'll find us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we'll make sure to have those linked up 
in the description of the show. So for those of you listening, you know, I highly recommend going to listen to Nick and his panel of, of game masters. <laughs> like Nick said, it's very similar content to roleplay chat. So if you're enjoyed, you know, if you've enjoyed any of these conversations, including this one, odds are you'll enjoy tabletop. So go give it, go give, go give it a listen and look forward to me joining Nick uh, on a, on a conversation, you know, forthcoming or perhaps <laughs> Perhaps this will be after, and you can go and find the back catalog of. Yeah, the the universe we'll works see. in strange ways. We'll see how the temporal <laughs> loop works out. <laughs> yeah, it's just this is just another episode in the episodic campaign <laughs> of uh, Nick and Matt talking about role play games. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this, this will either be a flashback or a flash forward. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Who 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 knows? Not us. <laughs> um, for those of you listening, if you wanted to reach out to me to ask me any questions. You can do so by contacting me on Twitter. It's roll underscore play underscore chat. I'm also making a big effort now to be more <laughs> active on Mastodon. That's roll underscore play underscore chat at dice.camp. Or if you're kind of intimidated by Mastodon, like I feel like a lot of people are, I'm trying to, it's, it's not so bad. It's actually really cool. <laughs> it's super cool. But uh, if you are a little intimidated, I'm also trying to use my Instagram a lot more i'm just really bad at taking pictures i gotta i do a lot of cool crafting stuff i make a lot of mini i paint a lot of minis i make a lot of neat uh uh, like terrain and stuff i just i'm just terrible at remembering to take like progress shots so you're gonna get like one picture of the mini like primed (laughs) and then just the end like that's all you're not gonna get you're not gonna get the middle unless i (laughs) i'm reminded to do so but again that's roll underscore play underscore chat uh I also want to encourage folks to spread the good word of roleplay chat. I, mm-hmm. you know, the audience has been growing. So thank you if you have been sharing it with your friends and your table. Uh, but I want to encourage folks who haven't to do so. The more people listening, the better it is for the algorithm. It's just me in my basement talking to cool people. <laughs> so you, you warm my heart when you share the podcast with your friends and fellow gamers. Uh, so with that, Nick, Thank you so much for joining me for this chat. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This has been amazing. I, I love talking about this stuff. So I can't wait to have you on and talk about another aspect of, of role playing. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be cool. All right, folks, let's call it a chat. And as always, thanks to the team over at Pocket Bard for the use of the intro and outro music for Roleplay Chat. <laughs>